0: Hello, you're listening to Making It Count, a podcast that provides practical financial advice for every stage of life with a twist. We're your hosts, Christina
1: and Will. We aren't financial experts. We're just like you, aka trying not to stumble our way to financial success.
0: That's where our money smart friends come into the equation. You see what I did there, Will?
1: Yes. I guess we need to add a bad pun disclaimer to our show description.
0: Well, as long as we add a reality TV spoiler disclaimer as well.
1: I'm there for that. You'll want to stay tuned for fun guest interviews,
0: discussions around money taboos,
1: and apparently corny jokes and Real Housewives references. Mm -hmm.
0: That is so perfectly us. So together, let's make make it
1: count. count. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the season three premiere of Making It Count.
0: I cannot believe that we're already in our third season. This is so exciting. And I'm especially excited about today's episode, which is all about how credit scores are calculated.
1: I'm very excited. I was reading about what a big difference credit scores can make in lending. For example, a person with fair credit who borrows $25,000 to buy a car ends up paying almost $7,500 more in interest than a person with very good credit.
0: That's a huge difference. And I think today's topic can really save people a lot of money and some frustration.
1: So before we introduce our guests, I'm curious, Christina, how old were you when you got your first credit card? And did you know anything about credit and credit scores?
0: I think I was straight into college, so probably like 18. I've had the same credit card ever since. I've never had another credit card. And I don't remember my parents talking to me about credit. But I remember seeing my other friends struggle with credit. So I knew, OK, like pay the payment every month and pay it in full. But I didn't really know how credit score was calculated. Did you have those discussions with your parents?
1: I remember it was kind of like an unplanned thing. I went to my bank with my dad when I was 18 and they offered me a student credit card. And it was just like a low limit. And it really was a perfectly fine card. And I really didn't know much about it, but I thought it was very adult to have a credit card. So I was very excited. <laughs> and my dad basically, the advice he gave me was always pay on time, even if it's the minimum, but you should always pay it off. Like he, it was very general advice. I think it would, might have been better if he like told me the consequences and the interest and that sort of thing. But still um, solid advice. Yeah. And I never really screwed up too bad with it. And it was, again, a $500 limit, which at that time for me in my life at that moment, as an 18 year old, I was like $500. Yeah.
0: Well, we have two terrific returning guests to kick off our third season, so let's just bring them in. Our first guest is Heidi Polly. She is a certified credit counselor and financial coach with Addition Financial.
2: Hi, Heidi. Welcome back. Please introduce yourself. Thanks, guys. It's always so nice being back here talking with you, especially about what my passion in life is, is helping members gain financial wellness and good understanding of credit and how it works. So I'm happy to be back being a part of this. I've been with addition for almost six years and helping members establish good credit knowledge and building up their skills for about the past eight.
1: Our second guest is also a part of the Making It Count alumni and an addition financial employee, Valerie Moses. Valerie, introduce yourself to the listeners.
3: Hi, I'm so happy to be back. I can't wait to chat with you all today about credit. I've been with the credit union since pretty much right after my college graduation and really did not know anything about credit when I started. So this was a really fantastic place to be when starting out and developing that financial independence and making some of those decisions. I work in our community engagement and partnerships department, and a lot of what I do has to do with financial education, especially talking to college students about how their decisions today are going to impact them in the future.
1: That's great. So before we dive into some more serious questions, let's ask the same question to you. How old were you two when you got your first credit cards? And did you know anything about credit or credit scores? Heidi, you go first.
2: So when I started college, I was 17. And of course, leaving home for the very first time in a different state, it was freedom. So I thought it was the coolest thing, you know, when they're down, you know, in the main area of uh, the college campus and they're handing out free t-shirts and frisbees. And I was like, ooh, they're like, if you just sign here, you get one of these. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Because you know that Frisbee, Frisbee for life. Oh my gosh, what yeah. you can do as a freshman in college with a Frisbee. <laughs> so I took it and the next thing you know, I'm checking my mailbox and I have a credit card. I was like, this is fantastic. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea that I had to make a payment on it. So that was my first experience. Very interesting, but it was great. What about you, Valerie? What was your first credit
0: experience?
3: So mine was a little bit similar to Will's. I started with my first credit card in high school. I was signed on to a card with my dad, and it was pretty much just so that I could go on a school trip where I really needed to have the credit card. And after the trip was over, I was really told that I could use it to purchase gas, like tank of gas on the card, learn how to pay off the card every month. And the big thing that my parents really talked about was carrying that balance and making sure that I paid it off every month and talking about how that really snowballed. And so that was something I really understood was the payment history part of a credit score. The other aspects, I had no idea.
1: Very interesting. We've all had very different experiences. We did. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some questions about our topic of the week, which is the science behind how credit scores are calculated.
0: I want to start with something very basic because I think a lot of people don't understand who calculates credit scores to begin with. So Heidi, tell us a little bit more about who calculates credit scores, like who's the man or woman behind the credit score curtain?
2: Yeah, we think of credit scores as just this number that randomly populates when we want to buy something. However, it actually, it's a statistical model that was actually developed very, very, very first back in 1989, which wasn't too long ago, though it seems maybe like an eternity ago. was actually the FICO companies who actually first developed it back in 1989, which is actually called Fair Isaac Corporation. This is the conventional model that is most often used and has been used for many years. However, Up and Coming, developed back in 2006, is actually called the Vantage score. You'll see that Credit Karma uses the Vantage score. Lenders can use the Vantage score. This is actually what's interesting, I think, about this is that this is a more modernized way of getting your score. They calculate the algorithms differently. So your number may look different from FICO than it actually does with Vantage. Fun little tidbit is that the Vantage score was actually created by the three credit bureaus. So that's Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax.
0: So that makes a lot of sense when we talk about, when I look at my credit score, sometimes they don't match. So it's because they're just coming from different calculations. It
2: could be. So another little fun fact is that there are many, many different models, whether it's the FICO Score 10 or FICO 9.1. Vantage score is just Vantage 4.0 at this moment, but there's real estate FICOs that they use. You can go to a car dealership and have your credit score pulled differently, and you're not going to get the same score every time.
1: Oh my gosh, already very complicated. I know. Okay, so Heidi mentioned algorithms. Valerie, do we know what's in those algorithms, or is it kind of like Google where they keep everything a secret?
3: Yeah, it's a lot more transparent than your Instagram algorithms where none of us (laughs) really know what's showing up on our feeds. They're very secretive about that. But FICO is extremely transparent and they even have the percentages of what factors into your score. They use five different criteria to determine the credit score. And while we don't know the exact calculations that are put into play, we do at least know what goes into it. And so your payment history is going to be your number one. That is, are you paying on time every time your credit utilization? How much are you putting on the card or how much credit is available to you and how much are you using the length of your credit history, new credit and the mix of your credit? What types of credit do you have? The first two are the most important. So 35% of your score is that payment history. 30% is that credit utilization. So the most impactful way to affect your score is to pay on time every time. Vantage isn't quite as transparent about what goes into it. A lot of the criteria are pretty similar, but they do differ slightly. And the emphasis that they place is a little different. They don't share exact percentages, but they'll say that one factor might be highly influential versus one might be moderately or only minimally. And so those criteria are your total credit usage, your credit mix and experience, payment history, age of credit history, and new accounts open. They put more emphasis on a consumer's credit mix and their experience than FICO does. That
0: makes sense. So they're similar with slight variations. So Heidi, let's start with the very top one that Valerie said. So 35% of our score is actually payment history.
2: So what does that mean? So when we say payment history, this is 35% of your credit score by FICO since they give percentages. So this right here is one that you always want to make sure when we say payment history, it's making your payments on time. No late pays FICO views your payment history as the indicator of future behavior. Mm. So if you go to apply for a loan and you've missed a payment, they're going to look at that. And it's how likely when lenders look at you, are you to repay them? So it's your credit worthiness showing that you are able and willing and in good faith to make those payments back. So, you're saying that even if I
0: make the minimum payment, as long as I'm making the minimum payment every month, that will help me increase my credit score.
2: Absolutely. So, when I'm coaching members, you know, and oftentimes people go, you know, they have financial struggles as we know from last year how it affected so many people, you know that I always say the minimum payment is often as minimal as $25. That right there, just making that minimum payment can save you seven years of having to rebuild a missed payment. So you don't have to
0: feel the pressure of paying it
2: off every Mm -hmm.
0: single month as long as you're making the minimum payments on time. Yes.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Valerie, what do you think our listeners should know about credit utilization? Why does it have such a big effect on credit scores?
3: Your credit utilization is a measure of how much of your available credit is being used. So it's expressed as a percentage. So an example would be that if you had ten thousand dollars of available credit and twenty seven hundred in debt, your credit utilization would be twenty-seven percent. The thought is that if your credit utilization is too high, you might appear overextended and lenders might be afraid to lend to you. You might not appear that you would be able to pay back.
1: So let me ask a question on that. If I have four different credit cards, are they looking at my total amount across those four or is it per card?
3: So they are looking at the total amount across the different cards. And something I like to recommend to people as well, if you are using your credit responsibly and you're not too tempted to use the card for unnecessary purchases, if your card holder does reach out to you and offer you a higher limit, because that sometimes will happen, you know, if you are demonstrating those great payment habits, I always recommend taking that because you can accept or decline. But if you accept that, then you have a higher amount that's available to you. And if you're spending the same amount, that credit utilization goes down and that will help your score as well.
0: That is such a great tip because I always used to get those like, oh, congratulations, you qualify for a credit line increase. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to get more credit. That's going to be bad for my credit score. But when I took it, my credit utilization went down. So it actually helped my credit score. Now I think that needs to be, you can't like get an extra five grand and then spend all the yeah, five grand. Yeah, I think you have I to think like, like the, be
1: aware of your own spending habits right. and understand mm-hmm. like, okay, if I get this, am I gonna be too tempted right. to use it? Cause that'll be more damaging than just not taking it.
0: So I like what Valerie said where yeah. she said, still spend the same amount, but now with your increased line of credit, your credit
3: utilization will go down. Exactly. You definitely need to know yourself and your habits, but if you trust yourself to be disciplined and make the same level of purchases that you were before, that's going to help your credit score go a long way.
0: So Heidi, let's move to Vantage Score. So in the Vantage Score, it calls for credit mix and experience.
2: What does that mean? So the beauty of this is that the credit mix is just like us in Florida, you know, we can't have everybody the same. That would be one boring, you know, we have to take into account everybody's differences and uniqueness. And they look at the credit score just the same, that nice mix of stuff that shows, you know, your all around ability to to use credit and use it wisely. So the healthy mix consists of credit cards, unsecured debt, retail accounts, installment loans, other which are, of course, secured by your home or an auto loan. Vantage does, of course, put more weight on the credit mix than FICO does. Hmm.
1: That's really interesting because I've also heard that, for example, like all the store cards that are available, Mm -hmm. that might be easier to get because they're not necessarily going in like prime lending. They're kind of just handing it out. They want you to get this card. Mm. I have heard, and you can maybe tell me if it's true or not, That often that will have less of an impact on helping your score than if you have like a credit card with a reputable financial institution.
2: That's correct. Um, Store cards, yeah. Oh, store cards have a different weight than actually. Let's say you go directly to Visa or Chase or any of those places. The store cards have a different weight. They have, of course, most people tend to use those just to get the points. And yeah, there's definitely like an
1: advantage to them. Like you know. If you want your your target card, you know, whatever. (laughs) I got
2: that. (laughs) But the wait, those we often say if people are looking to consolidate or eliminate some debt, those ones are the ones that are okay to close and pay off. But one other tip I did want to share when it comes to the credit mix is not necessarily opening accounts just to have the perfect mix. If you want to, it's to do it over slow progression time, have a credit card. If you need an auto loan or if you need to have another installment loan, that's okay. But don't do it all at once and don't do it just to have a good credit mix.
0: You were talking about secured and unsecured. What the heck are you talking about?
2: What yeah. does that mean? Well unsecured, those are a little bit riskier. So that is where we heavily dive into looking at your credit score and your past credit history. Because again, the lender is at a loss for this. There is nothing holding it secured like when you have an auto loan or your mortgage.
1: Yeah, and we don't have like debtors prison. So
2: (laughs) don't make your payments. We're going to take your house. We're going to take your car. Whereas with unsecured, it may just go badly on your credit report. Okay. So that it's actually a loss for whomever holds the debt. So, okay. So a student loan would be unsecured
0: because I don't have any collateral per se tied to it. Right. Okay. So credit cards, student loans, those would be unsecured. Mm-hmm. But then an auto lo- anything that's attached to something that's Correct. tangible is yep. a secured loan. Okay. That makes sense.
1: So Heidi mentioned that you shouldn't just open new lines of credit to get the perfect mix. But Valerie, how do new accounts... And new account inquiries, I should say, affect credit scores?
3: So this probably has the least effect overall of all of the different factors that go in, but it still can have an effect, just kind of depends on the type of credit inquiry that you have going in. You could have a hard credit pull, which would be if you're applying for a loan, maybe a mortgage, and they are pulling the credit for that specific loan. Or you could do a soft pull, which a great example of that is when you pull your own credit report. That is not you know, going toward any particular loan. That's just truly for your information and to be aware of what's on it. That is not going to affect your score. Those hard inquiries are what's going to affect it.
0: So Heidi, what happens when I'm shopping around for a lender? Like I know I'm going to buy a house, but I want to get the best rate. Does that affect
2: my credit score? If you're shopping wisely, then there's minimal impact. So let's just say you're going to buy a car and I as again we are consumers in this market and we want to get the best rate so which rightfully so it's going to save us money in the end so shopping for rates is something that's okay if you tend on buying a car you want to make sure that you get those inquiries within a 14-day period the credit bureaus will actually they know to lump those as just one inquiry so you go to the dealership and they blast you know, trying to find you a good rate, and you've got 15 inquiries for one car, or at one dealership. That's okay, it looks a lot on your credit report, but in reality, the credit bureaus know it just groups it together as one inquiry. And the same goes for mortgage shopping as well. Again, shop around. When you're mortgage shopping, you actually have 30 days to shop around for rates, and the credit bureaus know to group it as to one inquiry.
1: It's very interesting. Yeah. So both Vantage and FICO measure the length of your credit history. Valerie, why does the length of your history matter?
3: The length of your history matters because it helps you to really establish a track record. And it's great that if you're paying your bills on time every time over the course of that first year that you have that credit card. But if you can show that you've been doing this for several years, that you've been able to effectively manage different types of credit over a longer period of time, that's going to make it so that lenders are more likely to lend to you. It makes you appear as more of a more of an attractive borrower. And it's really like anything else. You know, when you're applying for a job, they always like to see, you know, those years of experience. And it's the same thing with credit.
0: So would it hurt if I like I've had this credit card since I was 18. So it's been a long time. I won't divulge how long. But what if I suddenly close that card? Do I lose all that history? Would that
3: hurt my credit score? That's a great question. I will say keeping that first card open forever is a great idea because it will impact that length of credit history. You lose that history if you close out that
0: card. Oh, so even if I want to go get a different card, make sure to keep that card so I can keep all the
3: history. Exactly. I always recommend if the card isn't super attractive to you, you can still use it to put, you know, a tank of gas or buy a stick of gum or something like that. Just keep <laughs> the, keep the card open as long as it's not costing you major annual fees or anything like that. Even if the card has maybe a not so attractive interest rate, use it, pay it off just enough to keep the card open. And that will help you to really establish that credit history. Oh, that's really good to know. Okay. Cause I think I'm going to start shopping around for a new credit card. So
0: I will definitely keep that in mind. Heidi, we talked about all the different ways to use credit wisely, but how can I make sure that the credit report is correct? Like how often can I even look at my own credit report?
2: There's a couple different ways. The one that I like is you can get your actual credit reports by going to annualcreditreport.com. Please make sure that you're going to annualcreditreport.com and not freecreditreport.com because that's actually a scam. So annualcreditreport.com, you can actually get your entire credit report from each of the three bureaus once every 12 months. So this, what I like when you get about this is you actually get details. You get to see your payment history, cards closed, things that are open. You don't get a credit score, though, when you do get this. Another way. So this is
1: about knowing accuracy of Mm -hmm. what's going on and making sure there's not something incorrect on your credit. that
2: is most important as well. So something, you know, you can only get your annual credit report, of course, annually. But then there's, you know, the personal monitoring sites, Savvy Money, Credit Karma, rate, right? you can use all of those. I like this as a personal tool because again, you're the first to know if there's anything that shows up any fraudulent activity. If there's just something that's not right, then you're kind of at, you know, you don't have to wait 12 months to see that. I signed up
0: through Experian and they will send me emails to alert me, your credit score has gone down, your credit score has gone up. And I can see like what Valerie was saying about my utilization. It, it'll say like you're, Credit score has decreased because your credit utilization is up, and then my payment goes through, and it's like, oh, your credit has increased because you made a payment. So it's really like I know Experian does a good job with that. Yeah, Experian
2: is great, and it's kind of, again as we talk about mix and knowing about you know what you have on your each credit bureau. So again, financial coaching, I get to you know see a lot of all the different sites, but Credit Karma, of course, has. TransUnion and Equifax and Experian doesn't it has their very own. So I often encourage for those to have your mix, you want to have one of each that you're able to monitor. Because again, not every creditor reports to each bureau. Mm.
1: Okay, last one, Valerie, is there any way to predict what effect any one of these elements we've talked about could have on someone's credit? For example, can you say that one late payment will result in a specific number of points being lost on your credit score?
3: Unfortunately, it's not that easy. we don't have the calculations and even if we did I was a communication major so I would be the worst person to <laughs> um, same to, girl same yeah to try to calculate that but we can say overall that you know the the factors that we talked about today will have an effect and the the longer your credit history and the more that you you know, have these positive behaviors, you're paying on time every time, even if it is that minimum payment, that is going to establish a positive track record for you so that over time, if you do end up having that late payment, it won't have a major negative effect on your score. So that's important to know is just over time, the more that you do these positive behaviors, it's going to make a huge difference. So what you're saying is don't give up just because
0: it looks dim now. It doesn't mean that you can't make it better. The future is bright. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and just keep going. Yes. Keep it it's steady. It's not gonna change overnight per right. se.
2: And time heals all wounds. <laughs>
1: and talk to somebody. It's good to it's talk so to people taboo. about I'm, I know it is. People feel very afraid to talk about it. Yeah,
0: I feel like I don't have those conversations with my friends. Like they don't come to me, I don't come to them. I don't know. I guess when like Valerie I think you've said this before just in our conversations, like we didn't grow up. Like I grew up with my parents saying we don't talk about money. Like you don't in mixed company, you don't talk about money, you don't and and so I think it's such a taboo thing to talk about.
3: Yeah, it's it's crazy to see some of the statistics around it too, and especially for women, it can be a real taboo that I think it was 61% of women would rather talk about literally anything else including death than talk about money. Man. And it's it's wild, but I can definitely see that from, you know, the the experiences that we have growing up, certainly, you know, parents and people around us saying maybe it's in poor taste to talk about money. And while maybe we don't want to flaunt everything we have, and you know, we need to be mindful of our situations. I think it is so good for us to have the
1: conversations and just, yeah, you don't just sit down and say, this is exactly what I'm making. But maybe it's finding somebody who you trust to sit down with and say, like, hey, I'm having a hard time with this. And you seem to know what's going on. Yeah. So tell me what's up.
3: Exactly. Because there is so much emotion when it comes to money. I mean, it, it dictates what we can do a lot of the time. And so if we can have those, we have these conversations with our friends about literally anything else and the personal situations that we're going through. And so I think being able to talk to friends, family, you know, a trusted person at your financial institution, just opening up those conversations, it will take the stress off and it will let you look a little more clearly so you can make some of the better decisions down the line. I think it's also hard
0: with social media that you want to keep up with the Joneses, although it is all fake, but you see the fancy car and the cool clothes and like all the makeup and you just want it. You just want it. And the, the true reality is, who knows how many credit cards they have, or if they're behind on something? Like you just can't compare yourself to what you see.
1: No, and that's my input. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, ladies, are you guys ready? We're gonna go into the rapid fire question round. Are you ready? Let's do I it. love a rapid These fire. Fun. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Will, you got the first one?
1: All right, Heidi. What are some ways that people can build their credit history if they don't have much credit?
2: This one is fun. I love working with members that have little, poor credit history. Again, as we just talked about, they're ashamed. They don't know where to start. I get to be the ones to give them hope and guidance and walk through them through maybe some darkness. You want to look at a secured card or maybe a credit builder loan are some things that you can do, whether it be through your financial institution or even online that have some things too.
0: All right, Valerie, this one's for you. How important is it to review your credit
3: report for inaccuracies? This is so important, especially right now. We're living in a time with a lot of fear, distraction, emotion. You know, when whether there's a pandemic happening, an election, anything like that, where there can be a lot of stress going on throughout the country. A lot of the scammers are going to prey on that sense of distraction. It's really important to be checking your credit report just to make sure that the information is correct. So if you are a junior or you have a very common name, you want to make sure the personal information is correct. You also want to make sure that there are no loans or any accounts on there that you did not authorize that don't belong to you. And so Checking that report once a year from each credit bureau, I like to say, you know, every four months pull from one of them because you do get that one per year. That really can make a difference and you can spot fraud from a mile away when you do that.
1: Heidi, have you ever had a credit mishap or misunderstanding?
2: Oh, he's gonna do de- Oh yeah, man. I'm Dim gonna deep. go I'm gonna go deep on this one. As I've learned, you know, it's okay to share my story. And I wouldn't be here in this position had I not gone through it. So of course, you know, as life happens and you don't ever intend on going through a separation and all of that fun jazz. So Through all the process, I watched my credit score go from being fantastic to, I'm okay to say, a 476. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it brought me down to the deepest and I know what I went through and how I build myself up on my own. And that's what led me here is because I don't want anybody to have to go through that by themselves. So if I can help guide them and walk through them, there is hope and you do recover.
1: That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah,
2: thank you. See, we're breaking
0: those taboos one (laughs) show at a time. Thanks, Heidi, for that. All right, Valerie, what do
3: you think is the best thing people can do to help improve their credit score? I think always paying on time every time to really help that payment history. And then when you're paying down that debt, if you can make more than the minimum payment on one of those loans, just to kind of help move you along, because it can be really difficult. You can see on your credit card statement, the amount of time it would take you to pay off that bill if you were to make only the minimum payments. And it can be really daunting. So if you can make just a little bit extra toward one of those payments to help you pay down debt, it will go a long way.
1: Heidi, is it worthwhile for people to pursue a perfect credit score?
2: Mm, Everybody loves to be perfect. That 850 (laughs) number, I can tell you when I pull credit from members and I see that 850, it is a big celebration. I can also tell you that I can count on the number of both of my hands, how many I've actually seen. So no, it is important to make sure you're making your payments on time, have a good credit mix. A perfect score is not necessary. In reality, you want to make sure you're getting the best rate. So of course, the higher the score, the better the rates. So that's what I say. Perfect score is not necessary.
0: Valerie, you speak to college students all the time. That's part of your job, which is so cool. And you talk to them all about money smarts. So what is that one thing that you share with them where you see that light
3: bulb go off? Like, What is the most important thing you share with them? Well, I think college is that time for so many. I mean, many of our stories as well, where they're just learning about credit for the first time. So I think really sharing the importance of building that score and understanding that your credit score is your reputation as a borrower. And it can affect whether you get a job, especially if you want to work in a financial industry. It can affect whether you have to pay a security deposit on an apartment. And it can affect your your loans. And it can affect so many things throughout your life. And so really understanding the effect that it has we're lucky that we don't have people passing out credit cards in exchange for pizza and frisbees anymore. And thankfully, (laughs) that's illegal. But still, it can be very tempting to open up cards everywhere you go and, you know, maybe get into that situation when you have that freedom. And so understanding the effect that it's going to have, and encouraging them to, to use it responsibly, maybe first paying for a tank of gas or something that they know that they're going to pay off. I've never impulsively bought gas before. (laughs) Yeah. So ultimately just understanding that that effect it has on your reputation as a borrower. All
1: right. That was great. Yeah. So now we're going to give our guests a chance to talk about what's new with them and how our listeners can stay connected with them outside of the show. So Heidi, why don't you go first?
2: Yeah. So you can find me here at Addition Financial. The best way to contact me is through my email So that you'll be able to get it's hpoly at additionfi.com or just call and ask for me. I am more than happy to help in any kind of way, answer questions and be of service. Valerie, it's your
3: turn. How can our listeners get in touch with you? I'm part of a really fantastic community engagement team. We're involved all throughout the community. We're happy to come out to your classroom, to your organization, to your business, and talk to employees or students, audiences of any age about any of these financial topics. So if you would like to connect with us, you can feel free to reach out to me. My email is v, is in Valerie, Moses at editionfi.com. And we'd love to come see you.
1: Well, thank you both so much. We really appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah,
3: we really do. Thank you both so much for coming. It's season three. That's
2: amazing. We've been part of this now for, well, since season one. (laughs) All right,
1: right, Christina, it's time for our favorite segment. What 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 did did we we learn learn today? today?
0: So the biggest takeaway for me, because I'm going to be credit card shopping soon, is do not get rid of that card I've had for umpteenth years, because I don't want to lose that credit history. So for me, that was my big takeaway.
1: Yeah, I think my big takeaway was, I really liked what Heidi had said about not sitting there trying to get the perfect score. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. It's it's not necessarily that you're going to get anything better because you have 850. Right. Trying to get as high as you can and do the right things and developing habits to support that is good. But like we said, it's a slow process. So just start somewhere and keep making small improvements.
0: At the end of every episode, we love to give our listeners some resources that they can use to make a count in their daily lives. So I'm super excited that we have a really good one for them today.
1: So am I. Our first resource is one I love, and that is the Addition Financial TikTok account. TikTok? TikTok. Whoa. uh. You can follow at Addition Financial for funny videos and financial tips.
0: Oh, I love that one. And they're funny, too. And it's actually like I've learned a lot of stuff through that TikTok account. So definitely check that out. They also have a really great free downloadable guide called How to Safeguard Your Credit Score Against Credit Card Debt. So it has tons of information about how credit card debt can impact your credit score and what you can do to improve your credit score.
1: That's fantastic. And finally, we have a fun money myths buster quiz that our listeners can take to make sure they're not still believing some common myths about credit, home buying, budgeting, and investing.
0: I think after three seasons, I'm going to ace that quiz. I'm going to get an A plus.
1: We better. (laughs) (laughs)
0: We'll link everything in the show notes and we look forward to seeing you guys next time on Making Making It Count.
1: Count. And that's a wrap on this episode of Making It Count.
0: If you learned something new, were inspired to reach your financial goals,
1: or just found us entertaining,
0: please subscribe, share, or rate and review us on your favorite podcast app.
1: And don't worry, we'll be back soon with another new episode of Making Making It Count. Count.